0: Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and also help them to succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Sharon Galland, who is the Managing Principal at KPFF Consulting Engineers. Sharon will be talking with us about active shooter and hostile vehicle mitigation related to structural engineering. I'm your co-host, Alexis Clark. I'm a licensed professional engineer in Texas, where I lead the engagement strategy for the structural engineering community of Hilti, North America.
1: And I'm your co-host, Matthew Picardle. I'm a licensed engineer, practicing on structural projects in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and a master's in structural engineering from UC San Diego. Before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So please support them. Now I'd like to recognize our first sponsor for this episode, CSI. CSI, or Computers and Structures, Inc., is recognized globally as the pioneering leader in software tools for structural and earthquake engineering. Software from CSI is used by thousands of engineering firms in over 160 countries for the design of major projects. CSI software is backed by more than four decades of research and development, making it the trusted choice of sophisticated design professionals everywhere. Listen up later in the show where I'll tell you more about the great software packages and how they can help you.
0: We would also like to recognize our other sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. A big thank you to our sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a privately owned, multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and still growing fast. Mazer Consulting's engineers, planners, surveyors, landscape architects, and environmental scientists provide professional services to a diverse client base across the public and private sectors. Headquartered in New Jersey with projects coast-to-coast, Mazer's offices are strategically positioned to provide comprehensive services and meet their clients' needs. Mazer Consulting is committed to the success of their clients and employees. I'd like to introduce our guest for this episode, Sharon Gallant. Sharon is a professional consulting engineer with 25 years of project management experience for a broad range of services including new and retrofit design, expert peer review, vulnerability assessments, and risk management studies. She serves as a structural engineering team lead in providing technical expertise in the analysis of structures and facades for extreme loading conditions, and the development and implementation of cost-effective and constructible design solutions for complex structures. Sharon has worked in multiple market sectors, including government and institutional, on a wide range of projects, from mission-critical facilities to historic structures, and is strongly focused on providing clients the information they need to make high-level decisions.
1: Now we'd like to welcome Sharon Gallant, Structural Engineer and Managing Principal at KPFF. Sharon, welcome to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Sharon, we're so excited to be talking with you today about some of the topics that you'll actually be presenting on at the upcoming ASCE-SEI Structures Congress in April. Two of those topics I understand are structural design for physical security of buildings, as well as active shooter mitigation. Before we dive into those really fascinating topics, could you give our listeners an idea of your career journey to date and kind of what you focus on today as a structural engineer?
2: Well, I lead our protective design group here at KPSF, our consulting group focusing on uh, physical security design for buildings and potentially infrastructure. We mostly focus on buildings such as government buildings, embassies, federal courthouses, military facilities, airports, that range of facility types. I started my career at a company uh, named Cold here in San Francisco, and I worked there for a good 15, 16 years. Um, When I left, I was an associate principal there, and I focused mostly on seismic design of new and existing buildings, and designing existing buildings, we would implement kind of performance-based analysis methods. That's where you're strengthening existing building for a certain performance. It could be at, per, you know, collapse prevention level, life safety level, or all the way to mission critical, being functional after an earthquake event. A point in my career, I just felt like I needed a new challenge and wanted to learn something new and expand. So I joined a company named and Consulting Engineers. And they focused purely on blast engineering and basically protective design. In the old days, we would be called uh, blast engineers, but really, we were also working on perimeter security, like high vehicle mitigation, ballistics, force entry, and just good security, physical security planning. So I worked there for 10 years, and I was a project director. And then about almost five years ago now, I left. And I came to KPFF and I started our protective design practice. KPFF is a pretty large company. Uh, We have about 1,300 people. And my group is just one, what we call, reporting center within the company. We have, I think, about 18 or 20 different reporting centers across the country. We're the group that basically focuses on protective design. And that field is really concerned with man-made hazards. And what I really love about the work itself is you are doing performance-based design every day on every project. And so there's a level of consulting and really getting back to fundamentals and having really challenging, unique projects as kind of our day-to-day. So I really enjoy the field.
1: At the SEI Congress, uh, you'll be sitting on a panel entitled Structural Design for Physical Security Manual of Practice, uh, which is also going to present the updates for the ASCE uh, publication. I think it's the ASCE uh, 59 Blast Protection for Buildings Standard that's recently been published. Correct. Can you tell us more about your involvement with the manual? I'm
2: a co-editor of the Manual of Practice, which is essentially a book on design for physical security. We cover, um, there's 10 chapters. I'm also a chapter author of one of those chapters. My other co-editor that I should mention is Peggy Vanipol with um, Thornton Thomas And we worked with uh, nine other principal authors as well as of those principal authors, there are probably four or five, depending on the chapter, contributing authors. And the purpose of this manual practice is really to provide structural engineers overview of blast engineering, progressive collapse, force entry, ballistics, and topile vehicle mitigation or perimeter security. It starts with a chapter on threat assessments, vulnerability assessments, and then talks to load prediction, design of structural systems, components, non-glazing systems, other like louvers and doors. I wrote the existing buildings chapter. We have a chapter on bridges, and then we wrap up up with certification and testing. So it was a big effort, and it's really intended to be also a bit of a commentary of sorts to ASC 59, which is a standard of practice, much like a building code is more how it's written in that type of format. Whereas our book is more like a book and uh, manual practice, so kind of leading our readers, giving them an overview of the protective design practice, as well as leading them to reference materials and, uh, you know, other references to go to for more detailed information. So, it kind of takes AS- ASC 59 and takes it a whole nother step further and then really guides the um, readers to other materials.
1: For me personally, I've never uh, done blast design. I'm mostly like your typical building designs. So ASC59 is the, pretty much the code standard for blast protection. And the publication that you're doing is kind of like a, a reference manual that kind of explains it a lot clearer, more than just code language, right?
2: Yeah, high-level overview. There is quite a bit of detail, provides a lot of context. Especially regarding like historic events, why we're doing this, you know, why we're focused on this in the first place addresses historic and even um, like recent events and evolving threats that we're all faced with here in the United States.
0: I have to say to you, Sharon, I'm so absolutely fascinated by this, and it's amazing that we have to evolve our codes and um, our practice to mitigate these kind of concerns. I know that Matt mentioned that ASCE 59 was recently published. Can you tell me about how long kind of the history of blast engineering?
2: Well, blast engineering really goes back to the military from conventional weapons effects. And then with the more recent events since the, you know, I would say mid-90s, then criteria started getting introduced into the United States after the Oklahoma City bombing and other events that are targeted at our embassies that are more terrorist-related. And so blast engineering really moved beyond just military and conventional warfare as frequency of terrorist events occurred as well as uh, domestic events. Terrorists started targeting our other uh, government facilities as well as commercial office buildings that are kind of iconic and high-profile in nature.
0: It's so sad that terrorism is something that unfortunately is at the top of mind for many Americans these days. How have you seen the threat of terrorism have the most impact on the work of structural engineers?
2: Your typical structural engineer is um, designing to a building code that really is intended to, at a minimum, provide uh, life safety protection to the occupants in that building, especially when you're thinking about like extreme loading conditions such as hurricane and seismic events. So that's what your structural engineers used to designing, to. I'd say in the mid to late 90s, then we started talking about performance-based design, and that's, you know, kind of a whole nother level to code design but it's purely voluntary. And so much like blast engineering is that kind of started getting integrated in the design of our buildings, it's still... Voluntary. So when you refer to ASC 59 as a code, it's really not a code because it's not mandatory, right? It's not part of our international building code. However, it is standard that we follow when our clients want to integrate design for terrorist events into their facility. And that most often will be, you know, it's required for many of our government facilities by the government especially those that are considered high target attractive facilities as well as those that have a high what we call high asset value so their risk level is much higher than a stand, like a standard office building it also has to do with the number of you know the occupants and the size and the conic nature of the building
1: i just wanted to go back just a little bit for to the panel discussion for me like i'm a typical you know structural engineer that hasn't designed with blast protection. What type of engineers or people would benefit the most from going to this panel that you're doing at SCI? Is it someone for me or is it someone like mainly for practicing blast design already?
2: It's intended really for a pretty broad array of people. Um, any design team, not just a structural engineer, but really any design team participant that is working on a government facility or even a private facility that is requiring that building meets protective design, that has protective design elements to it, or for physical security. We kind of use those two terms interchangeably. Even owners that are thinking about, you know, they may have a high-profile headquarters building, um, or they may have an office building that houses high-profile tenants that is in a high-risk country, and they feel that they could potentially be a target of a terrorism event because of the very nature of what they represent and the location. There's a lot of technical information there. It's really written for structural engineers. However, it's useful for a broad, you know, that full design team as well as owners that are building a building to these standards or thinking of retrofitting. There are other documents out there that are equally um, helpful and important, such as there's a risk management series that FEMA publishes. And those are publicly available
1: now. I'm going to the ASCE uh, also, or the SEI Congress. So, you know, I was like getting a synopsis on that. So thanks for that, Sharon. Sure.
0: And thank you for the additional resources. I think um, sometimes when we find our first document that kind of gives us some guidance on how we may want to design or specify or select something, we kind of go to that as the Bible. So I think it's really important that we all have a really nice, well-rounded understanding of a topic. And even get a little bit of perspective from the different entities that publish those. So thank you for sharing those. Yeah, as a resource, especially for building owners.
2: And then ASC 59, um, right now there was what we're currently using is ASC 5911. So our book, as well as the update to 5911, um, is what we're all hoping is coming out this year. It's going to be published. We're in the process of publishing right now.
0: I understand how slow that process can be. So I wish you the best of luck and fingers crossed that it's able to be published in 2020. Thank you. I'm really thrilled that you were able to share all of this with us, but I understand that there is uh, a second presentation that you'll be given at Structures Congress. This one is called Active Shooter Mitigation, Ballistic Hardening, and Other Ideas. It's so tragic that the thought of an active shooter is an ongoing threat to our population and that it's something that a structural engineer has to take into consideration uh, when they are designing specific building types. Can you give us a little sneak peek about what this session is, what you're going to cover, and how it could help a structural engineer as they move in their design process moving forward?
2: So our session is being moderated by Mark Weaver with Karagosian and Case. they another um, well-known firm that does protective design. And he has assembled kind of a round table. Well, it's not really a round table, but uh, it's a session where we each set up our own individual tables and give one-on-one or three-on-one types of presentations to the audience. So the audience has the opportunity to kind of move around the room and talk directly to the speakers. And then we each will have our own presentations that we can run through, as well as videos and other formats. With all of those speakers, and I'm one of them, the subject matter is rather broad as it relates to designing for active shooter mitigation. There's authors that are presenting the latest testing of different materials, like cross-laminated timber, and the attempt to use new materials, not just ballistics, but also other materials. So there's uh, researchers there. There's also um, the other kind of end of that spectrum would be someone like myself that's actually implementing um, design for ballistics and force entry into facilities such as higher ed, K-12, private commercial office facilities that we're seeing um, a lot more projects. Um, demanding that their facilities are upgraded given the, you know, more recent attacks over the last few years. My part of that is really focusing on the products that we use, the whole process of design, working with an architect, working, getting it constructed, constructability issues, detailing, a lot of um, those types of subjects is what I'm covering as well as showing video of a client testing uh, a custom design that we did of some door systems. So kind of a nice broad range of sessions or talk of speakers that we're trying to help a designer understand the process of and how to even start designing for ballistics for facilities. Because it's structural engineers is going to be part of their work and they'll have to, you know, either have it in-house like KPFF does or hire consultants such as ourselves. And then it's really important for them to kind of understand the difference in the type of work that we do, as well as how to integrate um, conventional structural engineering and architecture with protective design.
1: It's an interesting topic and kind of scary too, just because like, you know, with all these uh, shooters and, and terrorism what made you want to present on this topic? I think you kind of mentioned that it's like a growing demand, or is it something that you see that's like coming in the future that structural engineers are are gonna need to know about and benefit from? So I guess what kind of made you want to present on that topic?
2: It's a growing demand unfortunately, and it's really in response to a lot of the events that we're seeing domestically here in the United States. and I think you know when I talk about um, institutional Facilities such as higher education like universities, the K-12 schools, and uh, even um, office buildings, you know, hardening the lobbies because they're high risk. Anybody can walk in the lobby, but then how far do you let them go? And then how do you protect the people that are in that lobby trying to screen others? There's unfortunately growing demand in armed attacks as well as hostile vehicle mitigation. So there's also a similar session that addresses hostile vehicle mitigation. I'm on the, the panel that looks at all the abstracts and, and kind of puts the sessions together for physical security, essentially. So we're trying to incorporate more sessions that address some of the threats that we're facing currently, such as the armed attack and hostile vehicle.
1: Cool. I actually had another question, you know, related to this. It's something that was like, talk to more structural engineers. I mean, the field is really broad. And like, we can go into all these different topics. You were from like a Dagenkald. And so I'm thinking you were like an earthquake engineering and typical buildings. How did you get into blast engineering? And how did you learn that? Like, let's let's say someone like wanted to get uh, interested in that. How would they go From like a typical building firm to something more specialized like that.
2: Seismic background um, was really what pushed me in a way, or got me interested in blast engineering. Um, At first, I thought all I would be doing is blast engineering. It's similar in the sense that you're designing structures for extreme loading conditions. So, you know, you're not really designing for static loads and elastic behavior. You're really designing using a nonlinear time history analysis methods so dynamic analysis methods and going nonlinear with your element so you know we're designing for damage i can't shouldn't say you can't if you have enough money you can do anything but it's not economical to design a building to perform elastically in response to blast loading it's such an extreme load so we designed for various performance levels given the you know, asset value and, and functional demands of a facility. So that's where my interest was, is I wanted to do more performance-based design, essentially. And it was like a whole new field. And then I realized how much I had to learn and the whole security design aspects of it all. So it's really, you know, a protective design professional is both a, like a blast engineer plus a security consultant. So, we work hand-in-hand with uh, security consultants that are focused on electronic and operational security. And so, we're just part of that team of a full security design team. Fun. I love it. It's interesting. And, you know, we're focused on protecting people. So, that's the fulfilling part of it, right? Just like us doing seismic and designing buildings for earthquakes.
0: I think there's a lot of structural engineers, probably the majority of our audience, who do also find fulfillment in protecting the public. I think it's a really fascinating take you've you found for yourself a little niche, and since unfortunately there is an increasing demand, I would say to any of our listeners if you're looking to shake things up and you're looking for a new challenge, you may want to reach out to Sharon and see if she has an opening on her team. Always looking for good people and those who have passion to to really pursue this uh, niche form of structural engineering and become someone else who trailblazes in this kind of emerging field. This is kind of a personal question, but I'm a little bit of a testing geek. I work for a manufacturer and I love learning how things are tested, how they came up with the test and then watching uh, tests be run, which probably doesn't get everyone excited. But you mentioned that on ASCE 59, there was an entire section on testing. And I imagine that's materials, different configurations. Did you have any hand in in establishing test criteria, or getting to work with either academics or uh, manufacturers to test things out for the first time.
2: Well, I've um, worked on projects where our clients wanted us to test elements of a project, like a curtain wall that's designed for blast. Because you know, some of the curtain walls we work on are fairly unique, and they want to validate them because the analytical methods are so complex that. They wanted them validated through testing. So I've been involved in writing the testing protocol, and then we would hire a firm to do the actual testing. There's a handful of companies, one of which is Baker, ABS also does testing, uh, Stone and Security Engineering. So there's also, you know, protective design, blast engineers that focus more on testing than they do on um, design projects. That's kind of my involvement as seen test. You know, I'm not the one physically blowing
1: things up. Are they literally blowing things up?
2: They're setting a charge weight off some distance away from a mock-up. And that's uh, open range testing. If that's out in the open, they all, we also have testing where you have a shock tube. And that's compressed air. There's like a bladder that shoots off a wave of compressed air at basically supersonic velocities that hit your mock-up. And then there's also UCSD. UC San Diego also has a hydraulic system that tests elements like walls and curtain walls and columns and different elements that constitute the envelope of the building. They have a testing apparatus that they use.
0: Hilti works with UCSD um, for some of the seismic criteria and some of the seismic testing that we do for different uh, fixtures within a building. So I've seen my video of that before. Yeah. What's the scale or the size of some of these mock-ups that you're testing?
2: Well, a shock tube is typically, you know, you can put in a 12 foot tall, typically they can handle a 12 foot tall, say curtain wall or wall system. When you're trying to Evaluate a column or test a column for a near contact or close in explosive, then that's out in the open. There's also, you know, they'll design a big concrete bunker basically that has an open front where you can construct a full size mock up of a curtain wall and then set a charge weight off some distance away from that. And that would be your arena testing. They can also test multiple mock ups with the these test cubicles that are in an array and do multiple all at you know with one charge your shock front from your source charge that projects out right radially so then you can set all of those testing articles up in a radial fashion and test them all at the same time our book not asc 59 but our book the manual practice has a chapter on testing and it explains all these different types of tests that can be done And the pros and cons, the pluses and minuses for for each type of test.
0: And are you seeing the owner pick up the tab for these tests? Because I imagine they can't be terribly cheap. Sometimes
2: it's the owner. Sometimes it's a manufacturer that's trying to get a product validated for blast loading. Same with ballistics and fourth century. Ballistics and fourth century are physically tested to get the rating that they have for the resistance that we're looking for. It's similar. So a lot of products get validated
1: through testing. This sounds really interesting. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, it reminds me of like Mythbusters where they're testing stuff. You had a really interesting uh, career path and now you're getting into this topic. Uh, One last question before you go related to this. Based on your career, what's your one piece of career advice you can give to the structural engineers listening?
2: Always be eager to learn. When you get out of school, you know, you're not done learning. And you never know everything, so just be eager to learn and uh, learn as much as you can, and be passionate about what you're doing.
1: That's one of the things that I love about the profession. It's there's just always something to learn. And blast engineering hasn't even like crossed my mind. And it's like, oh, there's a, it's all performance-based design, and you're working with government instead of your typical like uh, private owners. So that's definitely great advice and um, something that I try to do myself. So. Thanks so much for being our guest and talking about uh, blast engineering. And it's really opened up my mind because, you know, I wasn't really familiar with it. So thanks for that.
2: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Sharon Gallant today. These certainly are interesting and relevant topics in today's world.
0: For those of you who are looking for more exciting, interesting, and relevant topics in today's engineering world, I sincerely encourage you to register for Structures Congress if you haven't already. And if you are, we'll see you in St. Louis. Be sure to check out those two sessions that Sharon is involved with and make sure you learn more if you're interested in really diving deep into the ballistic and protective engineering sciences. Before we wrap up, we would like to once again thank our sponsors for this episode. Firstly, CSI. CSI produces five primary software packages, SAP 2000, CSI Bridge, ETABS, SAFE, and Perform3D. Each of these programs offers unique capabilities and tools allowing users to find just the right solution for their work. SAP 2000 is intended for use on civil structures such as dams, communication towers, stadia, industrial plants, and buildings. CSI Bridge offers powerful parametric design of concrete and steel bridges. ETABS has been developed specifically for multi-story commercial and residential building structures. The SAFE system provides an efficient and powerful program for the analysis and design of concrete slabs and foundations with or without post-tensioning. Perform 3D is a highly focused nonlinear tool offering performance based design capabilities. With CSI products, you can be confident that you have the finest structural engineering software available, backed by a company with an unmatched record of innovation and an unrivaled commitment to meeting the ever evolving needs of our profession. You can learn more about them at CSIAmerica.com.
1: We would also like to recognize our other sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Mazer Consulting is on the cutting edge of technology, and their opportunistic approach to expansion creates personal and professional growth opportunities across all areas of the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them.
0: We hope you've enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. In order to leave those, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 18, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors.